Um, well, we are in part two of this short little mini-series that we're doing. That we're calling, God, Do I Have Questions? And last week we talked about that. We talked about the fact that there was a guy in the Bible named Thomas who was one of the inner circles, one of Jesus' 12 guys, his disciples. And yet he found himself at a place after the resurrection where he was questioning his faith. And so we were, we were wrestling with this idea that, that it's not necessarily an if I'm going to have questions in my faith sort of proposition, that it's actually a when. That each one of us, if we're going to engage this faith journey of, of being in relationship with Jesus Christ, then that will bring with it questions. And then we said that today we wanted to transition from those questions being about us to those questions being about those people in our world, in our circles of influence who come to us with questions. Perhaps you're like me and, and you've looked at your life from time to time and you've, you've almost been hesitant at, at moments to, to engage people in spiritual conversations, right? Because you're going... I know they're going to ask me a question that's going to be like a stumper. And I'm just going to be standing there going, I don't know. Right? And I'm with you. It's like there are moments in time where I'm like, oh, please don't let them go there. Please don't let them ask me what I do. Please don't let them find out, you know, because it's like, oh, this is so hard. And yet the reality is this we're about to see that if you and I are living our lives in a way that reflects the character and the person of Jesus Christ, questions are going to come. That this is not an if people are going to ask sort of deal, is it? This is a when kind of thing. That When people know how we live our life and the reason why we live our life is because we're in relationship with Jesus, it changes everything, as many of you know that listening today. So this morning we're going to take our cues from Jesus. So if you brought your Bible, would you turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 1? Because I want us to look at an extended passage of Scripture here where Jesus is engaged uh, in a conversation with a woman who has questions. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1 because I want you to see this this morning because Jesus engages a woman in conversation with some questions. Check this out. Verse 1 says this. Let's read it together. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, the scripture says, it was not Jesus who was baptizing with his disciples. Little, uh, little uh, you know, side note there. But he left Judea, look at this part, and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus leaves this area of the country known as Judea where he had been ministering. And he goes back, he starts heading back toward Galilee, but then check this last sentence out in verse 4. It says, now he had, he had, there's an urgency there, he had to go through Samaria. Now here's what you need to know. In a historical context, the Jews and the Samaritans were completely different cultures. They were completely different ethnic groups, and they had different religious um, sort of backgrounds, they had different religious teachings, they had different ways of doing things, ways of living life. There was a complete cultural and ethnic divide between the Jews, which Jesus was a part of that group, and the Samaritans. Look at verse 5, look at what it says. So the first thing I want us to notice there is that our lives are meant to be lived in contact with those who don't see the world as we do. Did you notice in verse 4 that Jesus says, you know what, I have to go through Samaria. This is not an option for me. That Jesus understood something that I think is so important for each one of us to understand, and that is God's desire for you and I as, as Christians, His desire is that we would live lives that are in contact with those who don't believe the way we want to believe. And as we're going to talk about next week, Mike and I are going to do a team teaching thing together next week. It's going to be really, really cool. As we talk about a little bit more next week, and we'll unpack a little bit more, the natural tendency for us as Christians 
is to put our, our faith in, in Jesus and then we just have this natural drift thing that we want to drift toward people who are like us. And so the natural tendency for us as Christians is to drift toward those who think like we think, act like we act, behave the way we behave, believe what we believe. We want to drift toward us. But notice that Jesus was very intentional about placing himself in contact. He had to go through Samaria. He had to engage people who didn't believe as he believes, who didn't see the world as he saw the world. Look at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. A little historical context there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So basically it's lunchtime. They come into this city known as Sychar, and Jesus uh, sits down next to this well that has some historical significance to the Jewish people because it was Jacob's well. It was kind of a big founder of the faith sort of deal. Now look at this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Parentheses. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Apparently the disciples, as we saw last week with Thomas, had a bit of a fixation with fast food. That for some reason here, at another critical juncture in Jesus' ministry, the disciples are at Subway. What is going on? Keep reading. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, look at this, she, she, just, she engaged him. Jesus is like, will you give me a drink? He engages this woman who doesn't believe and see the world as he does. In conversation, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parentheses, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She engages this guy. She recognized something in him. Notice this. Just one simple statement. Jesus says, can I, can I have a drink? And she noticed something different in him. Maybe, maybe it was the way he was acting. Maybe it was the way he carried himself. We're, we're not sure here why she noticed something different about him. But look, she recognized something different about him, and she questioned him on it. You're, you're a Jew, aren't you? And I'm a Samaritan woman. And then she asked him a question. What are you asking me for a drink for? Because you know as well as I do, buddy, that your people and my people don't see eye to eye. We don't get along. We don't believe the same things. We don't behave the same way. We don't have the, the same cultural standards. Why are you, a Jewish man, a rabbi in fact, as we find out later, engaging me, a Samaritan woman, in conversations? But she engaged him nonetheless. Notice this. She saw something different in Jesus. So here's the question for each one of us. Do the people in our worlds see something different in us? Do they recognize something different in the way we live our lives? Now, I'm not talking about a weird kind of way. There was a girl in high school who dressed in all black, from neck to ankles, all black, every day. And she was, when I asked her about it, because I knew she was of church-going nature, I said, why do you... What's, what's the deal with the black? And she goes, well, I just, I want to be different. I want people to know that I'm a Christian. <sighs> and it wasn't like gothic black. It was like religious black. <laughs> and when she told me that, I'm like, no, you are so like hurting our cause. Why? And so I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about, you know, going into your office and, you know, posting, the, you know, your screensavers, you know, do you know where you'll spend eternity? No, I'm not talking about that. It's, it's, I'm, 
in the way we carry ourselves, in the way we live our lives, people ought to notice. And this woman noticed something different about Jesus. Verse 10, look, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. So check this out. When the woman asks Jesus a question, notice what He doesn't do. He doesn't run from her. He's not like, You know, I don't want to... You might ask me a question I don't know. He, He pauses, and He engages her in conversation. See, Jesus knew that the woman's life was missing something. And he was looking for an opportunity to have a conversation with her about it. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time we saw others around us through spiritual eyes? Isn't it interesting right here that within just a few sentences of an exchange... Jesus is seeing something that this woman's life is missing. And he says to her, you know what? If you knew the gift of God and and the person who it is that's asking you for water, he engages her in a spiritual conversation right here. When was the last time we viewed people like Jesus is viewing this woman? As if they're missing something in their life. See, it's so easy for us to to, to get callous to the world around us, but Jesus pushes through that callousness and he engages this woman. In conversation, he sees her as missing something in her life. Verse 11, look at this. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Question. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did all of his sons and his flocks and his herds? Question. What's she do? Right here, she busts out the questions. She's like, okay, listen, buddy. You want to have a spiritual conversation? Here we go. Are you bigger than Jacob? Because I know about Jacob and I know the historical context of this well, the very well that we're standing at, and you don't have anything to draw the water with. And what do you think you're going to draw the water with? This Jacob. Are you better than Jacob? Are you bigger than Jacob? Is that what you're really trying to say? And Jacob and all of his sons and all of his herds and all of his flock, can you really do that? And she busts out the questions right here. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I'm like, you got me. I don't know. We just have good coffee and donuts. And this woman just like busts out the questions right here, and she's skeptical. I mean, she's got good logical, historical evidence, you know, to back up her questions. We've all felt that way, haven't we? We try, you know, and venture into a conversation spiritually with someone, you know. And like all of a sudden, the minute they see where we're going, they're just like, well, what about the polar bears on the ark? And what about the... You know what I've had a question about for like forever? And they just like get all over us, right? And we're just standing there in the office going... It happens though, doesn't it? It happened to Jesus, it happens to us. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to, and look at this, he focuses in on the central theme, eternal life. Notice right here, notice that this is so huge. If I could say anything to you as your pastor this morning about engaging people in spiritual conversations and fearing the questions that they will ask, it would be this. Jesus doesn't get distracted 
by your line of questioning. But instead, he stays focused on the central message, which is eternal life. That she asks him all about the well and Jacob and the herds and the flocks and do you know and are you bigger than, are you better than and all that. He doesn't get distracted by that, although he could have because he was. Well, as a matter of fact, I am. And let's talk about Jacob's well. And I'm Jacob. Well, uh, uh, uh. He could have just railed on this lady, but he didn't do that. He doesn't get distracted. Instead, he stays very focused in the conversation to the central theme. And notice he uses himself and his personal story. He says, he says twice in there, the water I give them. The water I give them. And notice this. When, when we have conversations with people about spiritual things, it's so important for us to understand the power of our personal testimony. And the reason why is because people can't refute our personal testimony. You know what? I, I don't know about the well. I, I'm not sure about the polar bears in the ark. I, I don't know. But what I do know is... Here's what's happened in my life. Here's my story. And people can't argue with our story. And then Jesus keeps bringing it back to the central focus. Eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. We used to, when I was in high school, we had like this fair thing every fall for a week and they'd take over the streets of downtown they'd bring all these rides. And all of the, my mom used to say, all the riffraff would come out for this deal. And as high school students, once I gave my life to Christ, we would go street witnessing. I was one of those guys. And we would go uptown like for two or three hours every night of the week. And we'd just walk up to strangers. And I'm not saying that this is effective, nor am I saying that we ought to do this, just that we did in high school because we just loved Jesus that much. Apparently it's a measure of spiritual something. And so we walk uptown and we just for three hours at night, we just walk up to people and be like, can I ask you a question? If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? And we just, boom! And people would just like ask us the crazy, I'm 16 years old, I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. But we have hundreds of these conversations. And there's one thing I learned in that whole experience is this, there will always be questions. There will always be distractions. As we're going to see with this lady, she tries to take Jesus all over the map, but he stays real focused on the whole deal, which is eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. So, so let's keep reading, check this out. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Water. So Jesus says to her, listen, I want to give you this water. So if anyone who drinks of this water from Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again. But the water I give you, this eternal life I'm talking about, you'll never be thirsty again. And so check this out. Isn't this the way it works in our real life? She gets interested in the benefits like it's some kind of infomercial. Look at what she says. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw. Really? For 1999? Eternal life and cleaner floors? Right? She's kind of, and, and don't people do that? It's like you, they'll talk about spiritual things, you know, they'll ask you these really hard questions, and if you can like push past some of those distractions, actually engage them in conversation, what do people do? They're like, really? Cool, I'll come, I'll give ten bucks while I get a thousand back in the offering. Sweet. Right? We kind of, like, they, they kind of shift into this whole, well, I'd like something good to happen in my life. They kind of buy into the whole infomercial side of Jesus here. Did I just say that Jesus has an infomercial side? Wow, sorry about that. Verse 16, check this out. Jesus doesn't get distracted by the infomercial benefit-seeking side of this woman. Look what it, he stays focused. Check this out, and he makes it personal. Verse 16, this is awesome. He told her, go call your husband and come back which is kind of what they tell you on infomercials too. And <laughs> must be 18 or older. It's about. 
Jesus, no, 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 look what it, look, look. Jesus takes it to a personal level. And this is so huge. When we have spiritual conversations with people, this is so, so important. Because, see, it's not about helping people have cleaner floors and eternal life for 1995. It's, it's about helping people understand that this faith thing that we're caught up in, this relationship with Jesus thing that we've found and discovered in our life that's making a life-changing impact on us, it's real. And it's personal. And the more we can bring our message down to a personal level, the more powerful it will be in people's lives. So don't, don't get distracted by the polar bears and the questions and what about and I don't know and that whole deal. Seek to make it personal. Listen, I, I'm not sure about Jacob's well. I'm not sure and we can find out that stuff. But what about you? At the end of the day, what is this faith thing? What has this God thing got to do with you? Verse 17, look how she responds when he says, go and call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now with, he's not even your husband. So when you say you don't have a husband, um, what you've said is quite true. Check it out, a couple of thoughts right here. She tries to dodge it. She tries to dodge the personal dialogue. And isn't that true in our conversations that we have with people? The minute we make it personal, the minute we move it from Jacob's well and the dinosaurs and the polar bears and the whole thing, the minute we get, no, but what about you? What about what's going on in your heart? I, I don't know about all that stuff. I, we'll find that out later. What about, we'll just keep putting that, what about you? The minute we make it personal, what do they do? They try and dodge it, don't they? They're like, oh, oh, oh well, well uh, I, don't, I don't have a husband. What you going to do now? type of thing, right? They try and dodge it, but notice this. She tries to sidetrack the conversation again. She dodges the personal stuff. She tries to sidetrack the conversation. Verse 19, look at this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, look how she's, look how she's sidetracking the conversation. Here she goes again. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What? Nobody's talking about worship. And all of a sudden, this woman's just like, she, you know, Jesus says, go call your husband. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. The guy you're with, he's not even your husband. So what you've said is quite true. So she tries to dodge it. And then right here, she tries to sidetrack. She's like, well, I can see that you're a prophet. What is up with the whole worship thing? She tries to sidetrack again. Look at what Jesus says, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. He addresses her issue, but he stays focused. Check it out. Time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. And then look, here he is again. For salvation. What's the focus? The focus is eternal life. The focus is salvation. It's from the Jews. Jesus addresses her question. And then he refocuses on the main message again, which is salvation. See, we can't let ourselves get distracted in these conversations because there will always be rabbit trails to run down with people and their questions. But if we can stay focused and keep people focused in the midst of the conversation, there are three reasons why people will bring up questions in a conversation. Ready for this? This is huge. This is a huge principle I grabbed a hold of a long time ago. One something just fell. Uh, <laughs> my ADD's like, wow, what was that? Three reasons why people will have questions in a conversation on, on spiritual things. The first one is they really want to know. The second one is they're trying to get out of the conversation. Or the third one is, they're looking for any excuse they can find to live how they want to live. That's it. 
So here's what you do. When the questions come our way, it's very easy to decipher these. Because to the person who really wants to know, challenge them that you will help them to find the answers. You know what? I don't know. But let's find out. You want to get together Friday night? We'll do some Google searches. I'll, find, I'll call my pastor. We'll find out. We'll get some resources. What? Call them on it. You really want to know? Let's find out. I'm game if you're game. Most of the time, people will be like, no, that's cool, man. You're right. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> Why? Because number two, they're either trying to get out of the conversation. Okay, great. I can respect that. Or number three, they're looking for an excuse to live how they want to live. And if I've seen it a hundred times in my profession, it's no lie. People will create questions as a smokescreen to live how they want to live. And the litmus test of that whole deal is if they're not willing to dig in and do some research and some homework with you to discover the answers to the questions, then it's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. Well, because, you know, you can't prove that the polar bears were on the ark, I'm just going to go out here and just go live with my boyfriend. That's the way it works. So this woman, she, she, she just keeps trying to sidetrack and derail this conversation. Verse 25, look at this. The woman said, and here's something else people do. I love this. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, yeah, he'll clear the whole thing up. He'll explain everything to us. What's she doing? She's trying to postpone it. Don't people do this? Don't you love it? I mean, this is textbook Jesus. He has the conversation for us. How do we handle the questions? Just as he did. People will try and sidetrack it. They'll try and dodge it. They'll try and do all of these things. And then the one thing they'll try to do is they'll try and postpone it. Well, you know, when the Pope weighs in on it, then I guess we'll all know, won't we? Ha, ha, ha. Let's go have... Right? Don't they do that? They just kind of, they kind of throw out these big blanket, you know, postponements. So she does it. She's like, well, you know, someday the Messiah called Christ, you know, he'll come and he'll clear everything up for us. Jesus doesn't let her get away with that. Look at verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one you're speaking to? Yeah. Shaboom. <laughs> Surprise! I am he. Postponement day just arrived. You gotta love that. And he challenges her. Look at this. Not, not to contemplate, but to do something about it. He's like, okay, listen. I, I think it's okay for us to call people to some kind of challenge or commitment. And again, not in a rude or demanding way, but in a way that makes them consider how they're living their life on a personal level. No, this isn't about postponing it until a someday, somewhere, out there, sometime deal. Right now, how are you living your life? You've got to wrestle with these questions of faith. faith verse 27. Just then his disciples returned. Oh boy. And we're surprised to find him talking with a woman Oh my goodness. Okay, has this ever happened to you where you'll be engaged in a spiritual conversation with somebody and someone, and most of the time it's another believer, God bless them, who busts in on the scene and is like completely on a whole different, different, like a whole different plane and they just come flying in and they just fly right over the top. I mean, you're just like, you're, you're engaged in this conversation. You're getting deep. You're going personal. You're not letting them postpone. And all of a sudden the disciples come in and they're like, Jesus, we got lunch. Look, look what it says. It says they're surprised that he's talking to people. 
He's Jesus. <laughs> he was put on the earth to talk to people. <laughs> Look at this. Our conversations may surprise some people. Listen, have them anyway. This, this will happen a lot of times. You'll be talking to somebody about spiritual things, engaging someone in spiritual conversations, and some well-meaning Christian will come up and they'll be like, oh yeah, I talked to that guy one time. He totally doesn't want anything to do with God. Don't, we, don't even bother. Oh, come on, come on, come on. And the disciples do that. Verse 28, look. Then leaving her water jar, okay, cut from the disciples back to the woman. She takes off. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, look at this, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Everything I ever did. At this point, he knows she has five husbands and is living with a guy. And she's saying everything I ever did. Interesting stuff. Could this be the Messiah? Notice this. Notice that her line of questioning changed. Because Jesus wasn't afraid to engage with a few of these questions with this woman. It changed her whole line of questioning. She goes from questioning Jesus to questioning her previous beliefs. Could this be the guy? Could this be the Messiah? Because Jesus was willing to engage those spiritual conversations, those spiritual questions. He finds this woman changing her whole way of, of asking questions. And then look at this. Notice her invitation that she has to the people. She says, you've got to come and see this guy. And you guys, this should be our invitation to people as well when we engage in spiritual conversations. Listen, don't take my word for it. My testimony's cool and unique and God's done some good stuff in me. Come and see. Come, come and make your own decisions. Come, come and see what I'm talking about because I think there might be something to this Jesus guy. Verse 31, Meanwhile... <laughs> Now, back at the ranch. Unbelievable. Look at the disciples. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. <laughs> Guys, I'm trying to tell someone about me. And you guys are afraid the subs are going to go bad. These guys were so concerned. Now, here's the principle. They were so concerned with the practical that they were missing the supernatural. And it is possible every single day for us to be so consumed with the natural in our day-to-day -day life that we miss the spiritual that's going on. Verse 32, but he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. See, Jesus was on a whole different plane. But look, His disciples, they're so hard-headed. Then His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought Him food? How dare anyone feed Jesus? We're the disciples. Can you believe this? I'm reading this. I'm studying for this message. And I'm like, could these guys be that dense? And yet, how often do we do that? Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of Him who sent me. See, you guys, Jesus saw a deeper meaning where He was. That He understood that He was where He was. Because that is exactly where God needed Him to be in that moment. And the same is true in our lives. Could it be that God has strategically placed you and I where we are for exactly this reason. That His desire is that you and I would be light to the world around us. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. You're pushing back going, Matt, you don't understand where I live. You don't understand where I work. I am like the only person who believes in Jesus at all. I mean, when you talk about light and darkness, okay, buddy, listen, I work in the darkness, okay? But I would say to you, and I believe God would say to you and I as well, never underestimate the power of one single light. God has us exactly where He wants us for a reason. But how often do we walk into our workplace, do we walk into our schools, do we walk into our dorm rooms, do we walk into our families completely oblivious of the fact that God is at work all around us? And Jesus was aware of that. Verse 35, look, he quotes back to them. Don't you have a saying, he asked the disciples, whom he's one of them in the Jewish customs. I mean, he's, he was raised in this stuff too. And yet he calls them out on it. He goes, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, look at this. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Implication, Jesus challenged his followers to see that there are opportunities all around them every single day. He says, listen, you guys, don't just someday, somewhere out there sort of thinking. In our spiritual journeys, there are opportunities that will present themselves every single day. Jesus wasn't talking about wheat fields and grain. He was talking about souls. And he challenges his disciples, you guys, don't let your eyes become calloused to miss the spiritual thing that God is doing all around us every single day. And the result, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. See, the result was that many believed simply because Jesus wasn't afraid of a few questions. And here's what I think. I think that it's possible that God would want to touch many in our lives, in our circles of influence, if you and I will not be afraid of the question. So let me ask you this as we close today. Who are you more like? The disciples or Jesus? Because see, the disciples missed it. But Jesus saw it. So who are you more like? The disciples? Are you prone to go into your life fearful and apprehensive of engaging people in spiritual conversations? Because there's a to-do list and there's a lunch menu and there's a thing that's got to get done. Or are we more like Jesus? Where we can walk into our day and go, today might just be the day where I get to have a conversation with someone who's living in darkness. Let's stand together this morning. Don't be afraid of having some conversations, of some questions that you might not know the answer to. God will provide us with answers if we seek. God wants to open hearts that are tender and ready, and we just never know where those opportunities might arise. It might happen at lunch. Let's pray. Jesus,
thanks that you don't leave us hanging on this whole question stuff. Thanks that you got to play this role that we find ourselves playing every single week in our lives. And Lord Jesus, we pray for those people that right now in our mind's eye that we're thinking about, that we're, we're cautious of, that we're afraid of the conversation, we're afraid of the, the questions. And Lord, we pray for that person, God. We just believe that you are big enough and sovereign enough that you might actually be working in their life in ways that we know nothing about. And Father, we pray that their heart would be open and tender to you. God, where they have been blinded and find themselves living in darkness, we pray that their eyes would begin to be opened. And then, Father, we pray for ourselves that you give us courage, myself included, God, to have conversations, to not be afraid of a few hard questions, that in the end, many might believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 <laughs>